This is exactly right. Don't be afraid to just openly talk to your child about mental health concerns. And, and um, you are not going to cause a mental health crisis by asking a mental health question. If anything, they are going to be relieved that you're willing to talk about it. And it might take some of the edge off. And, and I guarantee you, our younger generation is, is more equipped to be open about it than we are. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is so aligned with our mission. Today's show is Mental Health is a Back-to-School Essential with our guest, Bonnie Jean Feldkamp. Bonnie is a wife, a mother of three kids whose ages span two decades. She's a writer and columnist who often seeks to understand how current events and family life intersect. Bonnie ties personal experience, as you will hear shortly, to social issues to help readers empathize, relate, and care. She's an award-winning columnist, and her most recent award came from the National Federation of Press Women. And in 2021, she earned first place in the editorial opinion category for the third year in a row. Bonnie is, a, is the media director for the National Society of Newspaper Columnists, a member of the Cincinnati Inquirer editorial board, and board member of the Greater Cincinnati Society of Professional Journalists. And very importantly, Bonnie is an avid gardener, a bird nerd, and a conservation enthusiast. Bonnie, yes. welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, so um, there's so much for us to talk about uh, in terms of the topic of the show, mental health, getting back to school. Um, everyone's talking about, any of us who have kids are talking about, um, and work with kids are talking about this whole thing. Um, before we dive into that important topic, I mean, you, you have a, you have a long, you have a great story. I mean, you're like, you have so many stories in your life. And I think I'll start with asking, how did you actually become a writer? Well, it's funny because as a child, and I don't know if this is a colloquial thing of where I grew up, it was assigned to me as punishment constantly. <laughs> like I cannot tell you how many times that I was told to, I found an entry in my, um, my sixth grade, sixth grade diary that said, I forgot my gym clothes today, so I had to write. And that was like, that pretty much sums it up. And even like when I was in my tumultuous teen years and I ended up in front of a judge for destroying property, he assigned me to write an essay of 10 ways I could positively um, vent my anger. So I think by the time it was all said and done, it was everybody just agreed that I was better off with a pen in my hand. Wow. And I can't say that they were wrong because yeah. it ended up just being um, my go-to. If something was going down, I, I reached for my pen. And, it, and the mm. challenge for me actually was to learn to reach for my pen in good times because it was such a coping thing for me. Right. And yeah. I mean, and you write with, um, with such voice. I mean, your, your writing is so personable. Um, and, um, it feels like you're just talking to me when I read your work. I, when you were doing this writing, I mean, I imagine at first you weren't putting your soul into, I'm thinking of Bart Simpson, like I will sure. not be bad anymore. Right. I will not be bad anymore. Totally, <laughs> like did, yeah. did it evolve over time? It did. It did. I think um, sentences, I got so good at sentences, I would actually tape three pencils together so I could do three lines at a time. Oh, that's impressive. And, and then it evolved into taking creative writing in high school. Um, my high school junior year English teacher is now one of my best friends and was a big mentor of mine who recognized my um, 
my desire to to write objective papers. I mean, if he signed a paper, I was like, oh, I can't wait. Um, and I was that kid, even though I wasn't a good student. But I also was the kid who I've never taken a traditional path in my life. I do not have a college degree. I was actually homeless for two years after high school. Um, my mom died when I was seven. Mm. I have... I have so many social issues that have crossed my path that I feel like I feel like the first half of my life has been fodder. And now mm -hmm. I'm trying to learn from it. Um, and I'm trying to to do that in a way that helps other people. Um, I think life experience is extremely powerful. I, I really feel like uh, Brene Brown's um, book that uh, daring greatly yeah. one of the, my favorite things she says in that book is that a social wound needs a social a social balm and empathy is that balm and i really feel like my columns every week i strive to be that balm for some mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. and different topics mm -hmm. so that's kind of what ended up with mm. me here and, and your writing does make people feel I want to say like normal, you know, like you're writing about all the real stuff that is you're writing about um, things you could have done differently, challenges and struggles, you know, kid, your kids calling you out. Um, and it's just so refreshing to, you know, as a parent to hear like, oh, wow, OK, it's not just in my home. Like everything isn't that beautiful Facebook, Instagram feed that we see from all these people. Right. Totally. I think that's, I think that's important. And the thing that, that I get a lot of, I don't hate mail, but I also get a lot of supportive letters from parents to say, thank you for saying that. And, and I get the affirmation a lot of you're such a good mom. And I feel like I've made so many mistakes mm -hmm. and I've made so many mistakes. And I love that you think that I'm a good mom, but really so much has been born from the mistakes that I've made. And even like I, my children are 15 years apart. So I yeah. have a 25 year old stepdaughter, a 21 year old daughter, and then I have a five year old son. And sometimes she, my, my 21 year old, um, she'll tell me, she goes, sometimes your columns are hard to read because I understand that you've learned things from your mistakes, but the mistakes were made with me <laughs> and, and mm -hmm. I, and I understand that. And, and, and it's good for her to see that evolution in me, but I can also understand why, why um, she wishes I could have learned that prior to yeah. them making the mistakes with her. And, and I try to be real about that. And, um, and we'll, t you wrote a, a one, a recent piece about that, um, which I, I do want to hit. Um, I want to go back to, this idea when people say you're such a good mom and I, and pull that apart with you a little bit, because I mean, like that means that could mean lots of different things. You know, like, what do you think they, like, what are all the ways of being a quote, good mom or a good parent? I think that, you know, your podcast earlier this summer with, um, with Carla Nomberg really hit on the parenting shame that we feel mm -hmm. and, and with her book. And I really liked how she talked about, that needs to that needs to go away, and I think some of my own guilt or feeling that I don't deserve that title is because some of that shame and some of that understanding that that I have I have made I have made mistakes, and at the same time, I think that I'm the best mom I can be because I am willing to be open with my children and ad admit. I don't think there needs to be shame in parenting, but I do think there needs to be the room for humanness, for that relationship. You guys mm -hmm. talked about how it's not a job, it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I um, that really hit home for me because it, it these are humans. These are humans that that you have brought into the world and and to be human, not to be told what to do and how to grow and what their struggles are. We've, we've chosen this relationship, good, bad, or ugly from the day we decided that we're going to go forth having this child. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's hard 
I think that's hard for parents because we have our own baggage, our own expectations, our own dreams and wishes for this being coming into our lives. And it doesn't always look like that. And you have to reconcile that within yourself and hopefully create this, the space for that human to be an individual, no matter what mm-hmm. that looks like. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I've found too, as I've uh, aged in the, in the lifespan and as a parent, so much of our, um, I don't know, so much of our pain and worry and fear comes with this expectation that we mm-hmm. get about how we should be as a parent, how our kids are supposed to be, how they're supposed to turn out, how it relates to who we are. And it just seems like it gets all balled up. Um, and it takes time to pull that apart, especially as our kids become emerge into their own human beings and realizing, you know, like I can only do what I'm going to do and they're on their path and, and, and they're these unique people. And, um, it's theirs. It's not, it's not mine. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to articulate here? Yeah, totally. It's, um, it is, it's doesn't make it easy though. <laughs> and no. there, there's so many times I think I've said to myself that, that in parenting at every stage, I can't learn this for them. This mm-hmm. is something they're going to have to figure out on their own. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's the little things of like, my kindergartner came home uh, the other day and he's in dance class and, and he had sashayed to his chair and the, he came up to me and he goes, my teacher doesn't know what a sachet is. And she told me to go back and walk to my seat the right way. <laughs> hmm. And I was like, oh, buddy, his little his little personality has just been squashed. Right. Already. At the same time, yeah. Yeah. There's a time and a place to sachet and maybe kindergarten yeah. class isn't for whatever <laughs> they're doing. And, and, and it's as basic as that. And it's as big as some of those deep, dark spaces and incidents that happen when our children are maneuvering friendships and romantic relationships and and they have to to figure out what it's like to set boundaries and and all of that and it's big and it's scary and mm-hmm. it's but it's all very balled up inside of the parent I think whether it's a sachet or whether it's you know right. navigating right a backseat of a car, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And it, uh, and it is, again, as we get older, hopefully we gain more awareness about ourselves and what we're reacting to. So we have this pause and then, and for all you um, younger parents listening or soon to be parents, new parents, like if you could start that journey now, um, I'll speak for Bonnie and I, you'll probably be way ahead of where we were. As, as right when it starts, right? It's like it, the sooner you can um, have this awareness of what goes into these moments when we're stressed out or when we think things should be a certain way and just take a deep breath and pause before we just react. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and speaking of just reacting, so your most recent piece, we're, we're, we're slowly working our way to actually the topic of the show of getting back to school. Yeah. Okay. No, that's uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, but this is all about parenting and this is all about mental health. So um, your recent piece, kids may understand when they're older, but it doesn't mean they're wrong. You describe mm-hmm. a scenario in the car with um, your daughter and your son and mm-hmm. how that plays out. So share that with everybody. Well, it was it was a big kind of moment for me because after being away, you know, for the pandemic and before vaccines, I hadn't seen my 21 year old in over a year. And so now we're all back in the mix again. She has her own apartment. She lives on her own Mm -hmm. and we're all in the car. And he said something and I was like, I reacted. And I was like, no, you don't say that. And, and my daughter was like, well, no, you can always talk to mom how you feel. And she felt like I was shutting him down and just telling him what he was saying was not permitted and telling him to swallow his feelings. And, um, and that was, and I, and I understood that, but, 
And to her credit, she waited and she didn't say anything in the moment. She messaged me later and said, hey, mom, can we talk about this? And I said, sure. So I went over to her place when um, my son was at school and he um, and, and she basically told me I that she didn't she didn't agree with how I responded, that it, it brought up some memories from when she was a child. And I instantly was defensive and said, no, I'm not going to you don't have input on parenting your little brother. And and I was I was short and defensive. And then she started to cry. And then I was like, OK, I took a deep breath. And then I decided to reapproach and say, hey, I am so glad that you love your brother so much that you're willing to come talk to me when you think something's up. Mm-hmm. And I should know that that what I the way I reacted and how I shut him down on his feelings to talk about later would have triggered you. Um, and I should have circled back with you and said, Hey, when we got home, I sat your brother down and we talked about X, Y, Z. We read a book we did. And, and I should have included you in the resolution, knowing that you were part of the conflict and mm. that's on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came back the next day after sitting and with it and journaling about it. And, and, um, and, and I told her, I was like, I know that some of your trauma stems from some of my parenting decisions and I can't fix it, but I definitely want to be part of helping you heal from it. So, mm. and that's, that's hard as a parent to, to look back and some of the things that were done and went a little bit like, oh God, what did I do? And how that has lasting Mm-hmm. imprints on a child mm-hmm. that's hard yeah, yeah. and um i'm finding myself thinking <laughs> saying man bonnie jean you're a good parent and um and then so it's like what so what does that mean in this moment because you're you're gonna say well you know i wasn't a good parent when i did or didn't do some of those things that impacted my daughter and i don't feel like i was a good parent in the car when i you know kind of shut her down and or was defensive mm-hmm. but you know being a good parent is being honest is communicating is looping back is um being vulnerable and admitting when we're wrong um and having the respect and valid to validate our child's experience um and move alongside them as they walk through life thank you Try and take that to heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easy to beat ourselves up. I can oh. Bonnie bash all day long. I'm a pro. Yeah. It's really easy. And I say, like, I think that, you know, caring parents are really hard on themselves. Um, and it's just important to say this stuff out loud so we can, um, I don't know, reset and, 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 and focus on some of the things that we're, we're doing right or, you know, whatever quote right is, but doing the best we can uh, with what we've got in any given moment. So um, let's move to um, mental health and getting back to school because, uh-huh. as we both know, the mental health has taken uh, a toll for people of all ages, and particularly kids, uh, adolescents, and young adults. Seems to be that you know the people who who need people the most um, at these formative years and have been separated from people in too many cases. Um, so you you decided you're writing a three part um, back to school series for creators, which is focusing on this mental health milestones mm-hmm. um, and back to school essentials. So tell us where this came from and you know where this is going. Sure, it all kind of stemmed over this summer. Um, I guess the series came out of this summer. We as a country have been losing our minds over. And using ment- the mental health cry as the backbone for fighting against things like critical race theory, fighting against things like bathroom bills and the, the transgender rights and things like that. And then when we hit the back to school season, now the mask mandates are back. So the mental health cry was coming again of all these kids, these poor children. And so I really was like, okay, wait a minute. Let's just take a time and really assess what are the back to school mental health issues and can we address those? Because we know, and by we, I mean the, the royal we, I guess, is the, uh, that suicide 
and hospitalizations for mental health increase during the school year. Mm-hmm. And even though there's a correlation there, it doesn't mean that school's all bad. It just means it's part of the pot that gets mixed. And so we won't know the actual CDC information for another 18 months as to what that meant in the pandemic because it doesn't report immediately. Right. I mean, we'll know the hospitalizations and things like that, but not suicide rates for another couple of years. So I really wanted to talk about what that correlation meant and what we as parents can do to help soften that a little bit. Cause we talk about adolescents and how they need that human connection, but something that really hits me also having a kindergartner is um, how many of those babies are crying going into school, which is normal. But what is different is not the masks because whatever, they've never done this before. So a mask and a backpack's required. It's what we do. But what's different in my, what my son pointed out was that he's like, sometimes people come, sometimes kids cry and they say, I want my mom or I want my dad. And I was like, well, what does the teacher do? And she's, he says, well, she says, I know, I know. I said, does she give them a hug? Oh no, that's not allowed. And because of social distancing. And for me, a five-year-old not being physically comforted, mm-hmm. that's huge because that's how they receive comfort in my experience. A, a, a five-year-old is not going to talk through their feelings. They're going to bury their head in your chest while you you stroke their back. And they feel that comfort from a loving adult. But mm-hmm. this social distancing has removed that capability from a kindergarten and early element early elementary school teachers and for me that means way more than a mask right is that ability to comfort mm-hmm. um and so hug those little ones <laughs> extra more when they get home because they mm-hmm. haven't had a hug all day mm-hmm. um so and then the adolescents um definitely the spike in stress and and I like talking about building up the emotional equity as a parent. And those are in small conversations that happen, whether it's after school or in the car or however that checking in with them. How's it going? How you doing? Cause my kids handle things very differently. I had my, my eldest, she, she acted out. I knew when something was going down with her, but my middle child, um, my 21 year old, she acts in mm-hmm. and I did not recognize that as a parent, which is why I wanted to write about her mental health crisis as a junior in high school, because I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I knew she didn't like school, but I had no idea how dire the situation was because she didn't like her older sister. Her older sister would explode and we would have, you know, Hiroshima right. in the kitchen mm-hmm. and we knew, okay, it's time to address this. But she didn't. And so I, I, and I didn't see it, didn't relate to it. So that well, was hard. And it, it seems what you're getting at and what you got out in that piece that you wrote about her is, um, you know, not knowing the signs. And mm-hmm. so when we don't know the signs or we don't know what to look for, um, we don't know how to offer help. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like some kids are better at showing distress than others. And so, what would you what do you what do you say to people? What do we need to be looking for? Like what are those signs of mental distress? I think that um one of the big things is to keep talking to them, even if they shrug their shoulders and say, I don't know, and go into their their bedroom, still keep trying to check in with them. And the big the big sign that I overlooked was personal hygiene. My daughter to to get her to brush her hair was a challenge and and that's for a 16 year old and or get her in the shower and i i took that as oh she's being a stinky teenager because you know teenagers are stinky um and that's you always hear that you're like oh my gosh my son's room i walked in and it was awful but if they are struggling to the point where they can't even brush their hair something else is going on because people do not inherently have the the motivation to present themselves poorly to the world. Mm-hmm. I think that that's mm-hmm. something that needs 
there's something going on. And I would have never known that that was a mental health distress signal until, mm-hmm. until I learned that the hard way with my daughter. I thought she was just being lazy. You know, I had all those horrible thoughts that instead of, oh, there's a mental health issue going on. Right. And sometimes, I mean, there is a fine, it's a fine murky line between we're like, oh, teenagers, you know, like irritable, lackadaisical, mm-hmm. um, not caring, you know, through some of those kind of teenagerish behaviors. And then when it crosses the line and, you know, it's like some of these things, like you're saying is um, all of a sudden hygiene changes, poor hygiene, particularly when you're at a, you know, that age where that seems to really matter um, or all of a sudden there's lower energy there's sleep challenges, there's not much eating, or there's a lot of eating, again, sleeping a lot, sleeping a little. Um, And then where your mood changes. So it could be someone who is really outgoing, all of a sudden gets really um, withdrawn, um, or someone who is withdrawn gets really sort of explosive. Like, these are all things for us to be aware of. And as you point out, um, Depression, suicide rates, like they seem to correlate with the school year. Again, we're not saying like there's a cause. It's a, more of a correlation. There's lots of stressors and other things. And, and this is only increased with the pandemic. I mean, the, the unthinkable losses of life um, and the frequency um, in the pandemic, it's, it's, um, there, are, there really aren't any words. And so... You know, you're writing about all the things that we need to be thinking about for mental health. So, like, what else should we like? What are you know? You talk about masks. You talk about vaccines. You talk. I mean, I, you're not afraid to talk about the things that we need to talk about, right? And like, so what? What are the mo- these uh, more of these most important things for mental health as number one in uh, getting our kids back in school? I think um, being accepting of what who they are and what they are interested in. Um, and I, that sounds really basic and simple, but being engaged with those things and, and who they bring home as friends, um, I guess, for example, I, I feel like that's one thing that I have done right. Hmm. <laughs> uh, that's, You're, I giving You're giving yourself I, credit for You're giving yourself credit for this. Yeah, I'm okay. taking credit for this because yeah. I asked her, I said, I feel like I got this part right. And she goes, hmm. yeah, she goes, you're always good with my friends. And no matter their nationality, their culture, their, their belief systems, whether they were LGBTQIA, um, it did not matter. Um, they were welcome in our home. And she might, so my daughter's, one of my daughter's best friends in elementary school, um, he was, he was gay. They even had sleepovers. I mean, I talked to his parents and it was, and I think people were like, oh, now wait a minute. What if? And I'm like, well, let's meet these people where they are and and they are best friends. Mm -hmm. And, and my daughter's not straight either. So Mm -hmm. I was like, what's the big deal here? And I, I really felt like that was something I none of my kids ever had to come out of a closet because they were never in there to begin with. Mm. I always took the, the approach of from day one, the jury's out and they'll let me know. Mm. And, and so it just kind of evolved. There was never a conversation. There was never like, mom, I have something to tell you it was, this is my person. I'm like, okay, wonderful. You know? Yeah. And, and that, that's kind of, if you can relieve, if you can remove that barrier from an adolescent, I think that that that's one less thing. That's mm-hmm. one less thing. Well, and I love this idea of um, your kids not having to come out of the closet because there never was one in the first place. I mean, that's beautiful. And also, let's expand that for everyone, which is that closet being for anything. Not mm-hmm. just, you know, the um, what we think of in terms of um, sexual identity, like anything about who you are or, you know, again, all these expectations that were put on us and then we have parenting expectations and then we put them on our kids. But the whole idea that a child can be who they are without judgment, mm-hmm. uh, much easier to say than to do. Mm-hmm. It is. I remember one. So one thing my daughter told me and I and 
it's kind of funny, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, maybe I kind of overdid that. She goes, I was always worried about, I was always afraid to tell you my dreams because the second I told you my dreams, you would have a list and a Google search and figure out what programs we could find in the city. <laughs> and so I had to make sure it was something I really wanted to do because you had already had it lined up the next day. Mm. And, and that, again, you know, I think that, yeah, you can overdo it and over schedule, but I, I always aim to be. Uh, what's your jam? Okay, right yeah. on. Let's find out what we can find in the city so you can be part of other people that that's their jam too. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. So I'm hearing in terms of mental health in the school year is little kids, people need to be touched. They need to be comforted. They need, they need, they need touch. They need physicality. I'm hearing we need to listen to our kids um, and accept who they are, support who they are, show interest in who they are. Um, what else? What are, what's in the other, uh, the mental health um, school, school box? And you don't have to have all the answers. Mm. it's okay. Yeah. And it's okay to even admit that in the moment to kind of, I've never heard that before. Oh, I've, I've never encountered that before. Let me, let me sit on this for a minute or, or even, I guess, don't make assumptions. Um, you don't have to have all the answers. And another mistake that I made was trying to relate to my child in the way of, of, oh, I went through that and this is what happened to me and all of that. And some of that's great if they're open to it, but that shouldn't be your go-to because I can't tell you how many times I started down that road trying to contribute to a conversation. And um, one of my kids will say, mom, I'm not like you. Mom, that's not mm. me. Mom, I don't, I can't, that's not what I can do. And, and they felt like that I had expectations of, them to solve the solution or, or experience a situation the same way I did when I was in high school. So maybe pontificate less and validate yeah. more. Yeah. Um, that's a big yeah. one. That yeah. was a big one. And validation looks a whole lot like mom biting her tongue. Let me yeah. just tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you just reminded me I'm, I'm halfway into the book by Valerie Kaur, uh, See No Stranger, which is just an amazing book. And uh, the part I just finished was about listening. And she talked about in this one interaction um, with these, um, these racist people, she realized in hindsight, she was spending so much time trying to convince them of her point. She wasn't spending enough time really listening to who they are, what they were about and, and where they were coming from. And I think just to draw that parallel with our kids, you know, we're so quick to go into, okay, hear what they're saying. I've got a couple experiences for that and I'm worried about this. So I need to go right here. And we just, we unintentionally with good intentions, lose those, those moments, those opportunities to really just listen. Um, I'm also, I'm also thinking of, um, it was a supervisor, I believe a supervisor of mine who said, you know, so what do you say when you're driving and your uh, kids in the back seat are saying, Hey, so-and-so has been having parties and so-and-so's, or I was at this party and, um, people are starting to use drugs and, uh, and parents in the room are like, well, you asked this, who is it? You know, da, da, da. and he's like, no, you say, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just you just want to keep them talking and feeling comfortable talking and and we've all been there as parents gosh i've been there so many times is listening listening and all of a sudden i just have to say something i say something and there they go the conversation's done right just cuz you kind of stop it yeah and it's a lot of active listening so i think of like so a kid comes in the door and they're super frustrated. And I, and I say in one of my pieces, I feel like a kitchen bartender. So like they walk yep. in the door from the bus and I'm pouring a glass of milk or tea or whatever and say, all right, come have a seat. How was your day? And, um, and say somebody walks in the door and they're like, oh God, I bombed that test. That's awful. And as a parent, I'm like, well, did you study? You're right. And, it's, and then what do they do? They shut down because yep. then they feel attacked and defensive. And said, you maybe you should say something like, and, and the act of listening of just repeat what they said back to them. 
oh, I bombed this test. Pour that drink, put it down in front of them. Oh, it was a rough test, huh? You know, and then let yep. them just continue to say, yeah. you know, yeah. put on your bartender hat and, and, serve it up. That's such a great analogy. And everyone talks to bartenders, right? Like nonstop right. bartenders are like amazing at just keeping the conversation going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the message right here. Bonnie is like, how do we, we want to keep the conversation going. And uh, there are so many things that we can say to our kids to make sure that it stops immediately. Yeah. Um, let's talk about masks. This is okay. a big, um, topic depending on, you know, what part of the country you're in. Um, uh, but also I think across the country, there's these questions of our mass, um, you know, impacting our child's development. Um, you wrote a piece on that too. So tell us what you think about masks. Um, I think that developmentally, my concern initially going in was, those younger kids learning to speak and they need to see your face. And I actually bought my son a, um, a mask that has a window in it. So, you know, when he can't articulate his R's and things, right. So he can be seen, but he doesn't like them. He wears the cloth ones anyway. So he, those were my initial concerns, but they were saying no. And the facial recognition, um, those kinds of things. Oh, they're not gonna be able to read emotions. And well, that's not really the case because they're not wearing them 24 seven. They still see mom at the end of the day and they see her big smile or her frowny face or whatever. So they're still getting that at home and in other situations. And there's no data that shows that it impedes their development whatsoever. But if they don't wear a mask and somebody at home gets sick, we run the risk of them having some mental health distress of where did it come from? Who brought it home? Um, and not that they would, you know, we don't, we don't blame it when, you know, a two-year-old gives grandpa a cold, but right. there's, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about mental health disparities with wearing a mask, we have to talk about what are the concerns that they don't wear a mask and in, and the virus spreads in their community and someone in their household is sick or dying, that is mental strain as well. Mom, dad, sister, or cousin being really sick is scary and has a mental health impact. So I think that we have to talk about on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the debate continues to be, you know, the odds. I mean, it's like the, the, the pros and cons and which has larger sweeping um, cons with we have mass off for um, a time being or we have mass on for a time being and 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 we want kids in school right yeah. I think most of us are like oh gosh please don't shut down schools again please keep our kids in school right totally my son loves school and 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 keep them there. There are kids like my my daughter who had a mental health crisis. She finished school online and she was fine for that. And in a lot of communities, you still have that path if that's what's best for your child. Um, and and I also I I just think that that's um that's what we have to that's what we have to think about is is making those adjustments for for what is best for your child. Hmm. Um. And since you write about the tough issues, we're going to keep talking about them. You also have a piece on vaccines and um, and you share about your uh, your own um, physical struggles that, um, you, you know, you're very um, familiar with shots mm-hmm. and yes. uh, and what vaccines mean to you. They mean that I get to live my daily life in a little less fear. And I am I'm, I'm like, load me up. I'll I'll take whatever you want to give me. Um I, yeah, I self-inject Humira for um, autoimmune arthritis, and it has meant my my quality of life, uh, sustaining my quality of life. So I went from being very lackadaisical about my flu vaccine to now I get it as soon as I can. Each year, I get a pneumonia vaccine for the same reason. Um, I've had both of my Pfizer injections. I look forward to getting my booster. And honestly, my biggest concern right now is is waiting for my five-year-old to be able to be vaccinated because I want to create a vaccinated bubble around him, but with him interacting with other kids at school, that's not realistic. So um, when I think of how soon can he get vaccinated, I'm, I'm ready. I am, I am ready. Mm -hmm. And he understands that that's not, that's, 
that's a that's non-negotiable that when it is time, it, he will be vaccinated just like he will get his flu vaccine this year. And what in your part of the country, Kentucky, Ohio area, what what you know, where are people at with that? You know, I mean, because not everyone agrees with this. Right. No, it's a pocket. It's it's definitely pocket. So I'm in Jefferson County, Kentucky, which is Louisville currently. Mm-hmm. And um, that is definitely the one of the two blue counties in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely, uh, but it's still split because you can't even say that, that pushback on vaccines are um, a Republican issue or a Democrat issue because it's across the board. Um, so we're, we're pretty much a mixed bag. I think we're, yeah. I think the state of Kentucky is right at like 54%. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And again, I just thinking of listening is that um, there's so much going on in our world. There are so many pressures. Um, you get information based on where you listen and where you watch. And it's like, I think if, how we can just try to listen to everyone, <laughs> try to get right, like try to understand people's perspectives while also um, really having an emphasis on safety and again, mental health, like, and, and they, they go, so go hand in hand, you know, it's like, it's so easy to talk about, um, well, it's much easier to talk about physical disease and um, physical illness and um, this conversation about mental health for all of us and especially our kids is it's so, so, so important. And I do feel is getting more and more airtime as we've gone on through the pandemic. Yeah. The kids are better at talking about it than we are. We still have some of our older generational stigmas around mental health. And I really think that one thing I tried to hit and one of the pieces is that don't be afraid to just openly talk to your child about mental health concerns. And, and um, you are not going to cause a mental health crisis by asking a mental health question. Right. If anything, they are going to be relieved that you're willing to talk about it. And it might take some of the edge off. And, and I guarantee you, our younger generation is, is more equipped to be open about it than we are because we still have some of at least older parents like me, I'm 46. I'm an old mom. We have, we have some of those old stigmas still attached to um, mental health meant that you were a lesser than person. And that's when you want to, if you wanted to talk about mental health crisis or mental health issues, and that's Mm -hmm. not the case. Mm -hmm. Right. And the change um, with your piece on therapy is just like how, I mean, a therapist can be a parent's uh, best, a best helper. And, you know, we have come a long way I believe in the stigma of counseling. It's like, it's a really common thing. And kids actually ask, can I go to a, can I go to therapy? And, um, you're a, you know, which I appreciate given what I do. And, uh, you're a huge fan of, um, therapy for people of all ages and and especially, uh, children. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's a resource. Use it. Okay. So, um, as we're approaching the parent footprint moment question, before we get there, let's just bring this home for everyone in terms of if we can give people maybe like one, two or three points of uh, wisdom, the, the, the ball for them to keep their eye on when it comes to going back to school and um, supporting their children's mental health, what would you say to them? I would say check in. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to check in. How's it going? How you handling freshman year? You know, it, could, it doesn't have to be a deep, heavy question, but it can get the ball rolling. Um, check in. Be aware of sudden changes and mm-hmm. whether it's hygiene, personality. My eldest, um, I didn't realize until recently, she would throw up every morning before um, eighth grade. Middle mm-hmm. school was really hard. For her, she even and and we we supported what she needed to do because of her anxiety going into middle school. She had a big poster board and made a list of all a checklist of all the things she needed to do in the morning and put it on the back of the front door. So she would stand with her backpack on and make sure she had everything in a row. Look for little, I don't want to call them ticks, but little moments like that mm-hmm. where you're starting to see the stress ramp up. That if they got a they're, they're asking to put a checklist on the back of the front door and you hear them gagging on their toothbrush every morning, you might yeah. want to check in. Yeah. Um, and, or if the hygiene tanks, 
that, you know, that's probably time to check in and, and your little ones, it's hard. Um, what I do with my five-year-old, because we're trying to identify feelings and, and understand those he's at that age of big emotions, but not quite able to label them. Um, so in the car on the way home, I, the questions I ask him is tell me one thing that happened today that made you giggle. And he'll tell me, and I'll say, tell me one thing that happened today that made you angry or sad. And then he'll give me an anecdote. And, and cause a lot of times I'll say, how was your day? Great. Well, what did you do? I forget. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> get, get creative and yeah. use those car rides because yeah, they don't feel like they're being stared down in the car or on the spot in the car. You can just kind of talk while you drive. Nice. Yeah. So stay connected, ask the questions, um, and look for any changes in functioning, which can trigger, um, a greater need for support. Okay, here we go. Bonnie, parent footprint moment question. Yes. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as a person, as an individual, as a parent, an awareness of your parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact in your life, your kid's life, and those you love. Okay. I thought about this a lot, and I'm actually going to use a very recent example because it was one that kind of blew my mind. Um, I was in a workshop recently, and they asked us to share a um, a childhood memory, and um, and the, the happy childhood memory. And the memory that came up for me was sitting on the couch with my mom. My mom died when I was seven in a car accident, and she would she she crocheted afghans, and I was under an afghan blanket, and I would always put my toes under her bottom or behind her back. I would just dig like right underneath her. Mm -hmm. And I remember her laughing and teasing me about it. And that was such. And and the person that asked me, why is that? Why was that such a moment for you? I said, because I really felt like I belonged. Like I can't remember. That's the moment that makes me feel the most sense of belonging. And my my five-year-old son always has his feet on me hmm. and drives me nuts. I'd be like, oh my gosh, why? Even if he was in a stroller parked next to me, he'd reach out and put his foot on me. And that was such a connection to that moment that it was, it was, it was amazing to me to have that clarity of what that meant. And then at the same time, my 21-year-old asked me, she's like, mom, she's like, I feel like all of my, all of my, she goes, you were really snuggly when I was young. And then right around, she's like, even said around age seven, like elementary school, that stopped. You were very like, oh, it's time to grow up. And and the physical affection kind of stopped. And then both of those, and in that story, mm-hmm. the mental clarity of what the trauma of losing my mom at age seven mm-hmm. and the, the, the fact that my dad was a very stoic man and not a physical affection person that that's probably when my physical affection really got cut off. And I had interpreted that into my parenting as, Oh, you're seven. It's time to, you know, right now it's time you mature and you do these things. And, and, and that's what it means to grow up. And I probably hadn't thoroughly processed my own trauma. So I, I am amazed at how much being a parent whether you like it or not, will really expose you to some deep spiritual soul searching and learning about who you are as a person, because those values will present themselves and manifest in your daily life and how you parent. For sure. Man, you just tied so much together. You just tied so much together. And this was a recent awareness, huh? In a, like, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean the the how the feeling of your feet under your mom would create such a warm feeling of safety and then that to just be taken from you and with that um a lot of touch that you just assumed, right? Assume like, oh yeah, that's what happens when you get older and then how that transmits to unconsciously your own parenting. So, yeah, like this is how it works people and um and uh, Bonnie Jean is inspiring us to keep growing, 
to keep um, trying to be our best and to really be um, honest and authentic as um, you are, Bonnie, in all of your writing. So uh, tell everyone where they can, they, they, they're going to want to read your essays. And hey, guys, here's the other wonderful thing about her pieces. They are short for people like me that you can get like right through it. It like packs a punch and you're not thinking, when is this thing going to end? It never, you never think that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, you can find me at writerbonnie.com. That is my, uh, that is basically my handle everywhere, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or my website, it's writerbonnie, writerbonnie.com. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and, and the, um, the creators, uh, the series. Tell us when when we can look for that. That is um, the first three of the four are up on the creator site now, and depending on when this podcast publishes, the fourth one releases on Friday, so it, they might all be up by the oh, time great. this goes yes, up. Yes, they are yes. all going to be up, everyone. So check those out. Yeah. Um, and they are syndicated across the country, so they might even be in a newspaper in your neck of the woods. You don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. Um, and there's a link directly on the front page of my website at the top to all of my syndicated columns. So if you just go to writerbonnie.com, you'll go straight there. Awesome. Writer Bonnie, you've been Writer Bonnie ever since you were young, right? Pre-vocational Writer Bonnie. Um, Well, thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for sharing yourself with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everyone. That concludes another awesome conversation. Um, If you liked what you heard, pass it on to others who will benefit. Uh, We love having you part of our community. Um, You all inspire us every day. We all inspire each other just to be the person we want our child to become. Uh, We're going to make mistakes. We are, the goal is to keep growing, to be vulnerable, and to just know we are all on this journey together. As always, I'll ask yourself the question. I'll ask you to ask yourself the question I ask myself every day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.